thanks so much, Larry, for joining me today on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. I had the pleasure of having your father, Del Harris, longtime MBA coach, and your father, who has been so inspiring to the game of basketball, and he was one of my previous guests, and we had such a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad you are here today and being with me and talking about relationship building. Larry, what does relationship building mean to you? Everybody has their own definition. I look forward to hearing how you would define relationship building. Yeah, well, Garrett, I appreciate you having me on. You know, in talking with my father, he really had a, he, he said he had a nice visit with you and a, I guess a podcast with him. So he was excited uh, that I was gonna be able to join you at some point. So, um, you know, it's interesting about relationships. Um, you know, you take it, whether it's your family, uh, whether it's the NBA, whether, you know, your church or whatever. I mean, uh, to me, I try to tell our kids all the time, relationships are the most important thing. And and really having personal relationships with the people in your life, getting to know them, not just how's the weather, how are you doing, how's your health. So to me, it's really, it's really been the springboard for all the success that I've had and the longevity in the NBA is just being able to develop relationships quality relationships, meaningful relationships that I've been able to use um, in a lot of different ways and develop throughout my 30, now 34 years in the NBA. Um, but yet taking those relationships outside of basketball that, you know, I'm really close to probably eight or 10 really, really good friends of mine that continue to work in the NBA and for different teams. Um, and as competitive as all of us are, there's just a, a mutual respect that we have for one another. So. I can just tell you that I wouldn't be anywhere where I'm at. Obviously, my father, I owe everything to him first and foremost, but secondly, just the relationships that I built that, you know, speaking of the Warriors, for example, um, you know, just, you know, when you start thinking about how did I end up there, it started with my father. And then fortunately, I played for Larry Riley, who was uh, ended up being our GM. I played for him in college. And then all of a sudden, Bob Myers becomes the general manager and president. And he and I did deals back when I was the GM with the Milwaukee Bucks. So it's uh, it, it it really is it's the only thing that kept me kept me alive. I've been able to trick the two NBA franchises I've worked for that I actually know something about basketball. But more importantly, it's really the relationships that I built. That's wonderful. And you can can you walk me through? Can you walk me through because you've had such a phenomenal success with the Warriors and then starting your career with the Milwaukee Bucks when your dad was coaching them. Can you walk me through what it was like for you to say to your dad, hey, I think I want to follow in your footsteps. I think I want to get involved in the NBA. Talk to me, talk to me about those early conversations and uh, I'm sure it had a big impact. Yeah, I did. Um, well, I, would, I will tell you that playing high school basketball and then having him watch uh, you know, watch my brother and me growing up uh, playing together in high school and then going to college and him getting a chance to watch me play in college. There was obviously a bond because of basketball and him being in the NBA and, and me playing college basketball. And I knew early on that I wasn't going to be an NBA player. And I wanted, I, I didn't know if I wanted to get into basketball. And I remember asking him one time what he thought. And of course he says, Hey, this is a hard life. You don't want to do it. So he was like, no, 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 you know, use your math and uh, computer science degree and you don't want to be in basketball so um, fast forward a few years later and uh, uh, Mike Dunleavy uh, was working for my father and they needed some work in Texas uh, where I was living and uh, they wanted to see if I would be interested in doing some advanced scouting 
And so that's kind of where it all started in basically 1987, 88. I started working for my father. And um, it, it, the irony of it was he would, he would read some of the reports that I was doing. He would, he would follow up with me. But it was the assistant coaches that said, hey, you know what? Your son, he's not bad at this. He goes, you know, we ought to kind of hire him. And uh, so a couple years later, did the advanced things for a few years. And then in 1990, um, he hired me. Um, and the, I tell people about, you know, I get a call, I get calls every once in a while saying, hey, what degree should I get in college or what, what, what degree did you have in college that helped you get the NBA? And I said, you know, to be honest with you, what's really interesting about that was it was my computer science and math because we were one of the first teams, not the first team, but one of the first teams to go, uh, you know, to, to go from just using play, record and pause video uh, to doing, um, you know, to doing more stuff that ended up being digital uh, down the road. And so we were one of the first teams in Milwaukee. So I was able to, to get on the, you know, basically the ground floor of that. And so that really propelled me to be able to do that for basically the next six to seven years. And uh, working for my father was great. I told him it was really nice. He left me after 14 months. Um, he, got, he got fired, unfortunately, or mutual agreement. Um, it didn't work out. But uh, fortunately for me, the people that I was working for while he was there um, saw that there was something that, that I could bring to the table on the personnel side. And I knew right then that that's where I wanted, um, that's where I wanted to be rather than coaching. Um, you know, my father had been doing it for a number of years, obviously, a total of 50, I think, when it's all said and done. Um, and I just knew how hard of a job that was and the lifestyle and everything. And, and, and I just enjoyed I just enjoyed the the personnel side of it, and uh, quickly went from video uh, to scout, you know, then to uh, director of scouting, assistant general manager, and ultimately uh, the general manager of the Bucks for for nearly five years. Well, you know, you have quite a story, and obviously, it was probably emotional at the time. I would imagine when uh, your father and the Milwaukee Bucks had parted ways when you had just had started working there. You know, so when you think about you know, what it takes to make a team row in the same direction and be on the same page and, you know, making sure that, you know, although it's a business and, you know, you can't have everybody uh, be on the same page and like one another, they have to still respect one another and you have to rise above any challenge uh, necessary to try to win as many games as you can and win an NBA championship. So, Talk to me about the relationship building process, just working for an NBA franchise. And, you know, it's not an overnight thing. You really have to work at it, I would imagine. And, you know, it's being someone like yourself, who's the assistant GM of the Warriors and director of player uh, personnel. I mean, you were doing similar functions with the Bucks, And I imagine that that training really guided you to get to this point today. So maybe talk about those early days of what relationship building was like and how it has shaped you now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it, it really all starts with my father, but, you know, him putting me in front of people that were, con that were still in uh, the Milwaukee Bucks organization early. Um, and, you know, again, it's just uh, talk about relationships. And so my father um, parts ways 14 months after I, after I'd actually come full time. And so I didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, but lo and behold, Mike Dunleavy, ends up going to, to the Lakers and the head coach there. And then whatever circumstances created itself, all of a sudden our owner in Milwaukee 
uh, decides to hire Mike Dunleavy as their head coach and gives him an unprecedented contract, eight years, $8 million, something like that, from what I remember. Well, Mike and my father were close friends. They coached together. And so all of a sudden, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of rising within uh, the Bucks organization. And now I have a relationship with the guy that um, my father knew. And I knew Mike. Um, so it wasn't like he comes on as the head coach and general manager, which at that time, there weren't many of the combo jobs like you got Greg Popovich today. So it just, it started with that. And, and I think more Garrett than anything else is you've got to have, to me, um, I always, I've told my son this once to get into the business and my, my youngest brother wants to get into the business. And I tell him this, I said, you know, for, for Joe Smith to come and interview and get a job in the NBA at a young age in a franchise, and you have some qualifications they, and they may say, Hey, you know, we're going to hire you. And when we see your work ethic, it's pretty good. For me, I've always told them, you know, when you're following in your father's footsteps, there's expectations that come with that. They think, you know what? He's probably not going to work as hard. He's not going to do as much. He doesn't need to. His father's in charge of the organization or he's got a name or a reputation. And so I always put it upon myself that even though my father got me in, I have to, I kind of have to make a name for myself. And so the, the key to me early on in my relationships was trying to develop relationships out of respect and work ethic and knowing that the integrity and honesty that I would bring every day. And that's kind of, I think that's always kept true. Uh, I've always tried to be that way. I was that way as I was elevating up. My father told me a long time ago, remember the people uh, as you climb, remember the people that are beneath you, um, remember the people who are there before you and the people that are going to be there after you. So he really set a foundation for me that I've just tried to instill in the people that work for me in Milwaukee and now the people that I work with, uh, you know, out in San Francisco with Golden State. And uh, I will tell you, you know, you're talking about relationships and all that is that to me, winning organizations, championship organizations, you know, I've seen it from being in the lottery a number of times to hoisting the trophy three times. Right. And so I've been very fortunate and blessed to, to have all of that occur within my time in the NBA, and it really starts with ownership. And I can tell you, I've only worked for two owners, well, three, but I was, you know, temporarily before Joe Lake bought uh, the Warriors, you know, I was, I was involved in that previous ownership a very short amount of time. So I just consider the two owners that I've really worked for. Um, and Joe Lacob is, and, and Senator Cole was good. Uh, he was a good owner. He gave me an opportunity at 40 years old, one of the youngest at that time to do it. Um, I'm grateful for that. Ernie Grunfeld, my relationship with him when he was the general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks, I'd never be here today if it wasn't for him. He gave me that opportunity. Didn't know him that well. I remember scouting with him, uh, doing pro scouting early on in late, I mean, early on in my career in the late 80s. I met him a couple times, but never fostered much of a relationship. Um, he came in as general manager, and he really, he set the foundation for me to be able to become the general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, Senator Cole gave me that opportunity, but Ernie was instrumental in that. And so I took a lot of those experiences and those relationships that I think helped uh, my ability to go to the Warriors and, you know, that's how it with ownership, and then it's your president and GM, and then the people underneath them. And, and I'm, I absolutely work, I think, and I'm sure most people would say I work for the best owner. I do work for the best owner. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, and he's the best owner because he listens. And not that he can't make every decision and do whatever he wants, but he listens. And uh, I think the one thing is he respects the people that work for him. 
And so to me, the relationships that I developed early on in my career were all about respect and integrity. And he knows every day that I go to work, I'm going to give him an honest effort, but I'm also going to be very honest and open about my opinions. And, and the success of our franchise all starts with players in, in Golden State. It's no match sauce. It starts with the players, and they make it happen. But our ownership group and our front office is magical, and, our, and obviously our, our head coach. Steve. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Steve Kerr, I mean – what a gentleman, you know, when I was watching the last dance uh, last year during the the pandemic and I have, you know, a picture with me and Michael Jordan, his teammate over my over my shoulder. I had the privilege of meeting Michael Jordan as many other uh, professional notable athletes. And that's, you know, coming from the ESPN world uh, and having gone to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, uh, being a true Tar Heel and um, I just love sports and I just love interviews like this or like these where you can interview people like yourself and your father and others who have just touched the game in so many uh, instrumental and, and monumental and, and and endearing ways. I mean, you think about getting to be the assistant GM of a professional franchise like the Golden State Warriors who have won, you know, recent championships and have really put a dynasty together. And then you think about your former ball club, the Milwaukee Bucks, who recently won a championship. And, you know, you mentioned about your attributes or the attributes that you look for and your honesty and, you know, giving your honest opinion, you know, when it takes, you know, a franchise, whether you have the top player like a Michael Jordan or in this case with the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, and then you have the role players that your dad likes to talk about how the role players are just as important as the starters. You know, I'm sure you see in an organization that everybody has a role and each person, no matter their skill set, uh, no matter or his or her or his skill set, rather, unless WNBA, then you're talking about, you know, her skill set. But in the NBA, no matter his skill set, you know, he has to be able to know how to contribute to an organization and do it at the highest level. Talk about just what are the key attributes? And you mentioned some of them, but what are the key attributes that each player has to abide by or have those instilled in them to be able to be disciplined every day, go out every day, practice every day, make sure that they're putting their stamp of uh, excellence to get you through a season and through the playoffs to be an NBA champion. I mean, you've seen it from when the Warriors, um, maybe prior to when you came, when the Warriors were uh, not the best team in the league to then becoming the best team in the league. And now kind of, now that Clay Thompson's back, now they're kind of going through a rebuilding phase with Steph, but you know, you've seen it all. So maybe you can touch upon some of those attributes that no matter who you are and no matter what the records show with a team, you're, you're still able to go out and compete every day. Yeah. Well, you know, again, as I stated a little bit earlier, it really starts with the players and, you know, it's, I think you'll hear and you'll hear a lot of buzzwords when you you know you listen to different broadcasts or where teams are at in their journey for a championship, and they'll talk about the locker room, like hey this is a good locker room, or this is a player's coach, or you know they lead by example, or they're the you know you take LeBron James, you know he's he is you know he is the straw that stirs the drink, and I can just tell you about our organization in the sense of it's really revolved around three guys over the last basically 12 years, and it's. It's revolved around Steph and Clay and Draymond. Now, they didn't all come in together, but they each brought something different to the table. And, they, and the thing is, is they all brought character. They all brought a work ethic. They all brought a passion. And they also brought a skill. And they've gotten better. And they've gotten better. Yes, to some degree, we've helped them. 
we've provided the resources to be able to for them to be better, but they've done it on their own. And so when I can't, I don't, I'm not in the other 29 locker rooms, but I can tell you that the one thing that we talk about in Golden State time and time again is you can find out the true test of your organization when free agents want to come to your team. Like there are a number of teams out there and there's no disrespect, I'm not even gonna mention it, but there are a number of teams in the NBA that when free agency happens, they know they're not gonna get X number of free agents. Like these guys aren't coming for whatever reason. They're in a, they're, they're in a different time, time uh, space where, they're, where they think they're gonna win a championship. Maybe they're rebuilding, maybe they've had injuries, uh, a lot of turmoil, ownership change. There's a number of reasons why. But for us, since we've really, since Steph and Clay and Draymond started winning in about 2012, 13, when we got to Iguodala and Sean Livingston, it started changing. And right. even this year, you know, we start looking at this year and, you know, we get three free agents, all for the minimum, and all three are contributing greatly to our success so far. And we think puts us in a position to win a championship. And so, you know, it really, you know, it's almost like us drafting players. They're like, well, what do you look for in a player? Well, we look for three things. We look for character. We look for basketball IQ. And we look for a skill. And, it, it, and it's so close to all of them. But character and IQ are two of the most important things for us. I mean, we can help you get better. But we can't. It, it's hard to, like, hey, your character's bad. We'll make it better. Or your IQ's bad today, and we'll make that better. Very difficult. But it really starts with our players and our, you know, Garrett, if you ever, ever had an opportunity to follow our team around, if they ever did the, what do they call that? The NFL um, before it starts out where they take a team and they follow them around for whatever, 30 days, whatever it is. Yeah. And they have that uh, hard knocks. Yeah. Hard knocks. If they had that like with our team, they would find out that these guys are so genuine and likable that is, there's no mistake that free agents want to come. Now we're winning and that helps. And we have a great city, great building, great ownership, great front office, great coaching, but playing the way we play with the players we have. You know, if I ever had the privilege to just for a day to walk around the Golden State Warriors organization and just see how all the players interact and how they, you know, work and practice and how they go about their daily lives, you know, honing in and fine-tune their craft, that would be, that'd be a wonderful opportunity. Uh, you know, just getting insight, talking to Dell, your dad, and just talking about the different anecdotes of what it was like to coach, you know, the Lakers and being, you know, Magic Johnson's last coach and Kobe Bryant's first coach and, you know, his relationships over the years. And you probably remember as a young kid when your dad took the 1981, you know, Houston Rockets to the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics and, able, and, were, and were able to win two games against you know, Larry Bird's Celtics. I, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of stories there. And, you know, how has the game evolved? I mean, if you think about growing up and just, you know, watching your dad coach those early Houston Rockets teams, and then, you you know, you get into late 80, 80s and then the 90s and then the 2000s. And now in this last decade, I mean, the game is definitely involved. I think it's more offense uh, related than, than defense related, even though there are great defenders, but you don't have the hand checking. You don't have the, you know, the, like the bad boy piston style of, of, uh, you know, defense, if you will, but you probably have seen just the maturation yourself, even not only through your father's eyes, but, you know, through your own, uh, of just, you know, formulating opinion about, Hey, this is where the game was. This is where it is. 
and then this is where it might lead to the future. Do you ever think about as you continue to sustain the excellence with the Warriors, you know, where do you see the NBA in three to five years, maybe 10 years? And how would you want to be a part of it as a, as a GM yourself, maybe not assistant, but as a GM or as an owner or as a coach? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, well, the game is evolved. There's no doubt about it. I remember, you know, as I stated in the beginning of, of our talk today was, you know, just doing the advanced scouting in 1987, 88, 89. Um, the game's evolved, um, you know, in many different directions. Uh, globally, uh, you know, first and foremost, financially, I mean, unbelievable. Um, social media, I mean, that's a whole different animal. I, I've told people before, if Michael Jordan was, if there was social media when Michael Jordan played, they may have gone 82 and up, literally. Because I've always said the, the great players, and you know, the great players in the NBA, they, they just need to find something to get them inspired, right? Because they know they're the best. Like Michael knew he was the best. Right. So he had to find something, right? The last dance, you could just tell. He needed to find something to get him motivated, right? right. He knew he was the best. And so you imagine him on social media. He, I mean, somebody in Philadelphia making fun of him the night before where he missed a layup or something, and he, he would have gone in there and dropped 70 on it, you know? I know. The game, yeah, the game has changed in the sense of, let's yeah. just take two things, for example. Uh, when the Pistons and, and the Bulls played, you had Jordan rules, right? right. And that was basically lay the wood on Jordan everywhere he was and wear him down, try right? And just and just beat him right. up. And nowadays, you know, it's it really is freedom of movement. I don't I think the league has done it has really transformed itself for the better. I don't think that the fans today want to see the games that are scored ninety to eighty eight or eighty seven right. to eighty six. And that's how it was in the nineties. I mean right. it's just it was that way and it was accepted. You know, you had New York and Detroit and Chicago, Philly. I mean, right. you know, when my dad in 81, we even seeing that. I mean, you think about it. That was the first time a three-pointer was ever made, Chris Ford. I mean, right. so now I, I remember talking to my dad. I mean, and again, I, I still to this day, my dad is one of the best NBA coaches. I know I'm a little biased when I say it. But he was innovative in the sense that he was having seven-footers shoot three-pointers like Jack Sigma, Paul Mokeski, those guys shooting threes. When he was coaching there in the 80s, and now today, if you're not anybody on the floor that can't shoot threes, they don't put you on the floor. Like all centers shoot threes, and in the 90s, you were never, no center would ever go, "Hey, I think I'm just going to hoist a three-pointer up here because right. I'm open." So the the offensive game has really evolved. I think analytics, and you're talking about where we're going in the future. I think what you see in baseball where a lot of teams are going total analytics. I think basketball is going in that direction. It started, but I think it's got to catch up with coaching staff and front offices. How can we, how can we incorporate the analytical side of, of the business right. that can help us, that can help us sign free agents, make the right trades, but then also help players on the floor, you know, take better shots in better places. What are their, you know, what their percentages are, where they're taking them within our offense. And there's, so there's just so much, there's just so much information out there that really wasn't used uh, as much. There were box scores, but no one was taking the analytic approach. And I would say that there were people that were doing some plus minus and some things early on. My dad was. Um, so it's not like, you know, no one knew anything about analytics, but to be able to apply it for a trade or to be able to apply it like, hey, Fred, don't, t you cannot shoot from there. Your, your percentages tell us you don't make them from there. So, 
really don't shoot that or don't shoot don't shoot mid-range shots. All we want you to shoot is layups and threes is what the Rockets did. I mean, no one would have ever even thought about playing an entire season by trying to just shoot threes and layups. So I think offensively, and I just think, you know, the freedom of movement, I think the game is really in a good place today, mainly because the rule uh, that they changed this year, um, which, again, I, that's where Adam Silver and his group, you know, in the league office, is they're always asking the right questions. How can we make the game more presentable to the fans? And I think that's always something that, you know, they're thinking about, you know, they get together every six months to come up with different ideas. And uh, so, to me, analytics is going to be a push. Um, I think you're going to start seeing more, you know, the game's in a great place with basketball all over the world. Uh, you're going to see more international players come into the NBA, um, even more than we have right now. I think you're going to start seeing more international players in college uh, that are wanting to come over here. I think the G League is in a great, great spot. You know, we never even had a developmental league necessarily. We had the CBA, but it was different. Now every team's got its own. We didn't have that before. I think the developmental part is huge and how, how, how much that at, at a grassroots stage and where that can grow to. And then lastly, I would say, Garrett, where the NBA has taken their academies. And uh, Africa is the untouched, is really the untapped potential in the NBA. And I, in the next 10 to 12 years, Africa is going to be exploited in a good way uh, to find a lot of talent that's going to end up in the NBA. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, it really goes back, you know, 10, 20 years. I mean, Africa has so much talent. And, you know, those countries where they look at America and they look at those NBA games being played and they feel like they have the skills and they just have to be um, found or they just have to be, um, you know, identified by all these different teams and then to go through, you know, all the different like leagues and and type of programs to get them to the next level in the NBA. And you think about, you mentioned baseball and the same thing, you know, when it comes to like the Caribbean or, um, you know, countries of people of Hispanic, you know, descent. And, you know, they, I think is a great analogy with baseball as, you know, some of the countries like in Africa and even Asia, how that has been to, to basketball or how Japan has been to major league baseball. We probably, we probably haven't seen as much um, I think the NFL is, is a mixture of that. And I think that with the NHL, you know, you just such a Northern sport, you have the influence of Russia and Canada and, you know, the countries like Norway, Sweden, Finland. So every four major American sport, the four major American sports, if you look at the demographics, you know, they all play a certain role in part, depending on what people's interests are and what, you know, really gets them in the eyes of all these scouts and coaches to get them to play for their teams. And, and I mentioned it being a global game. Um, do you ever um, have conversations with Adam Silver and his group about, you know, relationship building and some of the maybe charity work that the NBA has uh, known, you know, NBA cares. I mean, talk about some of the things that maybe the Warriors are going to be, you know, doing this year, especially coming out of a pandemic and, trying to give back, you know, to local communities in uh, the Bay Area from a philanthropic standpoint, maybe, or how is that, you know, with the pandemic, how has that changed the vision of the NBA of, of traveling abroad and maybe trying to, you know, scout out new players? Yeah, well, I mean, I can just speak to the Warriors and, our, and the foundation that we have. Um, you know, it's, uh, they do a great job and, and our, and 
our owner's wife, Nicole Lakeup, is the one who kind of who kind of spearheads and runs our foundation. So it's something that's been going on prior to the pandemic. Um, I think this year, if I'm not mistaken, I think they gave out $1.5 million, um, you know, out in scholarships and stuff like that. So to me, I think that the NBA, as far as NBA cares and, and their, you know, their platform of what they want to do to reach everybody all over the world, I, I think that, you know, like anything else, they see what the other three major sports are doing. And the NBA always wants to be first. And I think our players uh, in totality of all the players, all 500 of them, do a great job of being ambassadors for our sport. Um, you know, as far as reaching all the continents and, and everywhere, east to west, north and south, um, you know, outside of soccer, we're the second, second most popular sport in the world. Uh, and I think that we recognize that uh, as being the NBA. And ultimately, that's where everybody wants to get to. Um, that we have a personal, uh, you know, we have, we have personal, we have, uh, you know, our own ownership of that. And we have to make sure that we are on top of whatever we're doing socially, whether that's through social media or through our NBA shares or through our academies. Um, and you talked about, you know, particularly about Asia, you know, talking about Africa is that's where the NBA is really trying to get its grassroots is trying to get these NBA academies in there trying to educate these players, not just on basketball, just on life and what it's like to be in the NBA, what it's like to play basketball. What, what are you going to do with your money and how do you take care of yourself? And, you know, the proper diet and, and the proper, you know, uh, the proper conditioning and things like that. So um, the NBA is good. They, they've got a long ways to go, everybody, but with Australia and now getting into Africa and Asia and trying to get into India as well. Um, the NBA is, is trying to touch and put a footprint everywhere that they can. And, you know, I, I've, I've always said Adam is a group of forward thinking, and they never want to say we've achieved anything. They're always trying to look to the future. And uh, I, I think there's just so many things that they have mentioned to us uh, as an organization through emails and stuff through the pandemic, what they're trying to do. I think they have a vision that, uh, that certainly is going to take place and take root here, if not soon, at least here in the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm excited to see how the game evolves and excited to see what plans the NBA has to, you know, reach out to people in Africa and Asia and to just really grow the game and continue to let it manifest to such an amazing sport that it is, you know, bringing people together and the relationship building that goes with it. Um, switching gears a little bit, you know, if you weren't the assistant GM of the Warriors and if you could be in another profession. Maybe it is sports related, not necessarily the NBA, but, you know, talk to me personally about, you know, your interests, you know, growing up with your you know, siblings and, you know, what other interests have you had that, you know what, it complements what I do now with the Warriors, but that, you know, there's something else or beyond uh, sports in a way that on your personal time that you can contribute to, you know, the Warriors. I mean, you talk about, you know, uh, being more of the math and science type and, you know, and obviously, you know, you uh, are somebody who's well-educated and just well-versed in so many different things, you know, has there ever been a time where you're thinking, you know, if I wasn't doing this job, what would I be doing? Um, you know, I, I like to use the cliche that I've, you know, since 1987, 88, I really haven't had work a day in my life because I've enjoyed everything, you know, I've enjoyed my time in the NBA. So through the ups and downs and 
so I really have not, you know, other than working uh, as working for at that point Ross Burroughs EDS as in a, you know, more in a computer role uh, with them for a year, year and a half, and then moving into an actuarial science firm in Dallas. I've only worked in the NK, um, but if someone were to ask me as you did, if you could do something else, what would it be? I, I think, I think my biggest, I think one of the things that I bring to the table that I have learned uh, over the years is um, I've become, I, I've learned to become a better listener. Um, and I think the one thing that I can do that I can help organizations, and I think this would, wouldn't matter what industry it's in, I would obviously in the NBA because I have an expertise in that, but it would really be in a consulting role of developing young people, of what it takes to be a professional, uh, how, how to dress, how to, um, how to feel comfortable in public speaking, how to carry yourself, um, how to deal with coworkers that you may not get along with. And a lot of this really come from just the five kids that, that my wife and I have and just mentoring them and just trying to make them better people, uh, make them better followers of Christ, um, make them have a purpose and a relationship, not only with Jesus Christ, but with the people that they work with. I mean, we have nurses in our family. We, you know, uh, we have some other works for the defense department. So, so our family's pretty, pretty well diverse in a different, in, in different entities and, and different workplaces that, I think for me, it's just educating these young people of, you know, yes, phones are important. I know they drive the narrative. I know social media is really cool, or TikTok and all these things, but it's, you, you need to have personal relationships, people that you talk to, not via email, not via text, that you can sit down and talk to. Um, having a cup of coffee doesn't mean I'm on Zoom. It means in person. And uh, though I enjoy this conversation in Zoom, I'd rather be doing it in a chair across from one another. Um, but I think one of the strengths that, that I have developed over time is just having patience and listening to people and then giving the advice and just the life experiences I, that I've had in different workplaces with, you know, I've probably worked with over a thousand people in my time in different capacities. Uh, some making a lot more money than me, some people making as much as me, and some people making less. And growing up from having nothing to, to being able to, to, you know, be able to afford a house to, to put uh, a roof under for my family and then to be able to win an NBA championship, but also to, to lose a lot of games and end up in the lottery a number of times and to be fired and then to be rehired and then, you know, we're working on contracts year to year and then having guaranteed contracts. So there's just so many different life experiences that I have been exposed to that it would be more of that. Now, I'd never write books like my dad because he's at a different level intellectually than I am. But I think that I could certainly sit down and mentor younger people, certainly in the profession of the NBA, uh, but maybe in other different walks of life and in and, and other different businesses. Well, that's really great. I love that you draw upon, you know, the consulting aspect, because that's what I do in, in the financial world. But I my consulting in the financial world is, you know, a little bit different or it's evolved where I really pride it on relationship building business developing and professional networking in, in any order it can be achieved. And I wanted to start this podcast and interview a lot of my, you know, contacts and people who become friends. And, you know, you're my 11th guest on this podcast, which I greatly appreciate and to have your father on here as well. But that's really what it boils down to, to be able to mentor 
one another, to be able to give back to your local communities, give back to your, you know, they could be your friends, they could be within your family, they could be just people who cross paths with you and then make it, you know, a meaningful impact and a significant, you know, mark on your life. And I think that, you know, that's what I love. I love that consulting aspect. And it's great that we share that because that's what really what you're doing every day, even as a GM or assistant GM of the Warriors and director of player personnel. I mean, you are having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with any player or any one of the coaching staff members or the front office and even with the fans too. And, you know, the impression that you make on people matters and, you know, what you're doing for the Warriors is so selfless. I mean, yes, you work for the NBA and yes, you know, you have a role there, but it's not where you're just, you know, showing up to work and, um, you know, thinking about that, it's just a means to make a living. It goes beyond that. It's such a intangible, innate, you know, feeling that you've had for so long. And your dad's a great example. And I'm sure outside of your dad, there are other people who have helped you get to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, it, you see it in a lot of commercials and it really is, is true. It's, you got to give back. And is it just by saying it, you got to, you got to have action behind your words and so you know that I just you know again my father is it, it's one of the brightest men that I've ever been around in my entire life and um, he's, he's one of my best friends my wife's my best friend he's my second best friend um, right but I've learned so much from him and and to see him even at his young age of 84 give back almost every day regardless of what what area of his life is it is. It's not even always basketball. Sometimes it's, it's you know, it's the church. It's a religious part of it. It's, it's life. It's, you know, it's, it's the books that he's written are not all basketball books. So right. it really, he's, he's kind of been that springboard for me that giving back as much as you can. And, and there'll be times where a lot of people will call me uh, for different, different, for different reasons. People are going to be people here after me. There are a lot of people to me. Um, but I want to give back to what the game has given to me and the people that I've touched and hopefully, you know, in a, it, it, that I'm a small part of somebody's life that says, you know what, it was impactful in a way because it, he said this or did this or acted this way or carried himself. Well, on that note, um, Larry, thank you so much for, you know, being with me on the Wave Capitals guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. Uh, you've been a great guest. I'm so happy that we connected through your father and, you know, you become your own person and your own success story within the game of basketball. And if it wasn't your dad, um, you know, who would be your second or third person that you feel or people that you feel like have really impacted your life? I know you said your wife's your best friend. My wife is my best friend. But who would be that second or third person in your professional sphere that you said to yourself, wow, they really made a difference on my life? Mike Dunleavy Sr. Uh, gave me an opportunity to stay with the Bucks. Uh, Ernie Grunfeld put me in a position to be uh, the GM uh, of Bucks. And then from there, the relationship I had with Bob Myers allowed me to stay on the Warriors when there was an ownership change. Uh, my head coach in college, Larry Riley, who then became uh, the GM of the Warriors. You know, the irony that I played for him, my father and Larry Riley and Mike Riley, his twin brother, have known each other since, I mean, my dad knew them when they were very little. So that relationship and that relationship building. And then, I, you know, I owe the, the gratitude to two people uh, that have signed my paycheck 
now, Senator Cole uh, in Milwaukee, and obviously Joe Lakeup. Those are from a professional standpoint, and there's a lot of others. They're just really close friends of mine. But the people that have sent me um, upwards towards my path of where I am today, the success that I have uh, enjoyed being a part of, both with the Bucks and the Warriors, starts with those guys for sure. Um, and there's a lot of other people, other GMs and, and other assistant GMs that I've worked for and been around uh, that have truly been impactful. But those guys, um, for sure. Those The two owners and Bob, Ernie, uh, you know, Mike Dunleavy, obviously my father, um, have been really impactful to me and uh, really allowed me to do what I do and enjoy what I do each well, that's wonderful. You know, what a great list of people. And I'm so glad that they've each impacted you in such positive and meaningful ways. And it's so wonderful to hear others speak so highly of those they've come across and made a big difference. And, you know, it all starts with family and, and then, you know, it carries on from there. Thank you again, Larry, for all your time uh, to be a part of this podcast as my guest on the Wave Capitals guest speaker series on relationship building and team environment. I look forward to staying in touch. I always keep in touch with your dad and so glad that we've connected and that we can stay in touch. And next time you're in Orlando, please let me know. And I'm, if I'm ever in, you know, the Dallas, you know, Frisco areas or the San Francisco Bay area, I'll be sure to let you know. I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you sometime and, you know, talk sports and talk life and, you know, other important things that are going on. Well, anytime. And I really appreciate you having me on. And by the way, number 11 was my favorite number. That was my favorite number in high school and college. So I'm okay being 11. Um, I'm glad I wasn't 10 or 12. 11 worked well for me. But thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Uh, Good luck with the podcast. Hopefully you'll get better guests from me. uh, And there'll be more impactful and better relationship building. But I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Larry. Wonderful words. And number 11 was my favorite number. I wore it on my high school basketball team. Uh, as well as number 23, Michael Jordan. But uh, my wife and I, our favorite number is 11. And we met on October 11th, 2018. So 11, 11 always follows us wherever we go. Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you a tidbit. October has been a great month for me. That's, that's when uh, my wife and I got married in October on the 22nd. So, so October is good for the both of us. Yes, absolutely. That's such a good omen. Well, thanks so much, Larry. I'm so happy that that was the case too. You take care. And we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.